now listening to the Pat's Pulpit Podcast. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Pat's Pulpit Podcast. What passed for a football game between the Patriots and the Lions is in the books. I am Alex Shane, here to painfully re-break it all down with you with Rich Hill. Rich Hill, what the hell did we watch on Sunday night? Oh, man, I mean, that's what you get with preseason football. It gets worse every <laughs> single year. The, the players don't have enough time in practice. But don't worry, in like two weeks, once the season actually starts... The Patriots will be fine. You know, it's Tom Brady's not throwing to his guys. These are scrubs who aren't going to be on the rock. Wait, this is week three? Allie, this week is week three. three? They, oh, Alec, this was one of the worst Patriots performances I've ever seen. And at least last week, they had the excuse that they're playing against the Jacksonville Jaguars and their amazing defense. But this was the Detroit Lions who got blown out by the New York freaking Jets. And sure, Matt Patricia is their head coach. And yeah, he has the entire Patriots playbook. And sure, he knows the weakness of every single player. But there's no excuse for how the Patriots looked on Sunday night. I mean, if it was just one thing where there were some drops or there was some inaccuracy by Tom Brady or the secondary couldn't cover or the front seven couldn't like there's just uh, there's just like F's F F F all around. Everybody gets an F. They didn't even show up. There was no emotion. I think there was one series where I think Dietrich Wise got a sack, got all fired up. The very next play, Jawan Bentley had the interception, and they scored a touchdown. That was maybe four minutes of the entire game that they got like a C. The rest of it was just <laughs> abysmal. And when, when when they lose this badly and they look this crappy doing it, and you and I have to kind of break down the game, the strengths and weaknesses, the pluses, the minuses, I don't even know where to start. So wh- how do you want to do this, Rich? How should we break this game down? Well, I think there's only one way to do this, and I wrote about this immediately after the game, and I want to expand it because I believe someone in the comments section, I want to say Dan Maroney, pointed this out. I only went so far as to say the Patriots have been terrible for the past 10 quarters, and he went back to say, uh, I mean, like, yeah, the offense has been terrible in, in 2018, but the defense has been awful for the past five games. You go back to the AFC Championship against the Jaguars. They couldn't stop Blake Bortles then. They were fortunate enough to come back and win the game. They were awful against Nick freaking Foles and the Eagles. They were fine for one half against Deshaun Watson as he was coming back from his torn ACL. But once Watson was warmed up in the second half, the Patriots were terrible. They were awful against Blake Bortles again. And then they were terrible against this Detroit Lions team because they couldn't do anything correctly on defense. And so there's a lot to be concerned about. But we're looking at the big picture here, and I think that's what we should talk about on this podcast. We should go throughout the entire Patriots roster because there's not really much value in talking about the specific game against the Lions, and we can talk about it as we go through the positions. But ultimately, Patriots are terrible against the Lions. We should go to every position group and say what the biggest problem is with each of them, whether or not they're going to rectify it over the coming weeks, and how big of a concern we should have, and what are some possible fixes. All right, I like that. Big picture is always the way to go because it is only week three. I know we're Patriots fans, and every time the Patriots lose, the sky is falling. When they lose two in a row, the sky is falling and the earth is opening up. And when they lose two in a row and lose badly two in a row, the whole planet's going to explode. So it's good to kind of rein things back in a little bit. Starting big picture, I'm going to start with the defense because you talked to the defense and how the defense has really, really struggled lately. Overall, 
talent-wise, player for player, is there enough talent on the defense to be competitive in the NFL this year? Competitive? Absolutely. Are we going to see it? Probably not till the back stretch of the regular season, and that's what always happens with the Patriots. And I will say that I believe there is the talent because Trey Flowers is a very good pass rusher. They have some solid B-level players on the defensive interior. I know they haven't shown it yet, but they exist. Dietrich Wise is going to continue to ascend. Adrian Claiborne is another one of those solid B-level players. The entire defense is just very B-level, with maybe an A-level in Stephon Gilmore, an A-level in Trey Flowers, and then you know maybe a C-level sprinkled here and there in the rotation. They have the talent to be an above-average defense. Now, they're not going to be you know, a steel curtains-type defense. They're not going to be as good as they were in 2014, but they are good enough to be in that 10 to 15 ranking, which is enough if and when the offense rebounds. And so there will be hope. They'll figure it out. That is what always happens. Bill Belichick's still there. Brian Flores has been a part of it. They use the first half of the season to kind of figure out what the strengths are of each player, and then they craft a defense over the second half of the season that really highlights their abilities. It's going to be the same exact script this year. I have no reason to fear that that won't happen again. Okay, good. So the talent level's there. They'll get it together. Now, getting a little smaller as we get into our big picture breakdown, let's talk about the front seven. Opponents are averaging at least five yards a carry. The Lions have not had a good running back since Barry Sanders. I was, I think, just in high school when Barry Sanders was getting ready to hang him up. That's like 20 years ago. They ran all over the Patriots. There were players dragging big guys. They were huge gaps. The offensive line dominated the defensive line. It happened against the Jaguars. It happened against the Texans as well. How concerned are you about the run defense right now? I'm pretty concerned because the Patriots were terrible against the run last year, and they are still being terrible this year. And sure, they added Adrian Claiborne and they added Danny Shelton, but from what we've seen, the Patriots are playing Keontae Davis a lot, and he has been a huge weak spot on that defensive front. And so, ultimately, the talent isn't too much better than what it was last season. And so, yeah, if it was bad last year, it's going to be bad this year. Malcolm Brown has taken a step back. He was a very good run defender last year in isolation. He couldn't do it all, and as a result, the run defense struggled. He has been playing poorly over the first three games. He's been getting blown out of his blocks. He's been getting spun around. He's been missing tackles. Opposing teams have specifically targeted Keontae Davis when he's on the edge, and the Patriots have no answer for that. They just blow him back five yards beyond the line of scrimmage. They've been getting him on stretch runs because he just doesn't have the athletic ability to get out and make the stop. So this isn't going to stop anytime soon. I am pretty concerned about this. I am banking on the fact that the Patriots linebackers, fingers crossed, will eventually start figuring it out. And that it hinges entirely upon the health of Dante Hightower and whether or not the injury that he's returning from is permanent or is still in the process of getting the rust knocked off. Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I, I wrote in my fan notes about how concerned I am about Dante Hightower. A torn pectoral is no joke. You require surgery. It's a lot of rehab. But I've never torn a pec, so I can't speak to this. But I don't think it makes you 25 seconds slower on the sprint <laughs> and slower to react. And he just looks winded out there. I don't know. He's always getting beat around the edge. He's over-pursuing. He just looks like a huge weak spot in this defense. And I feel like linebacker was something you and I talked 
ad nauseum about in the offseason, Rich, about how they didn't really address the linebacker position. They used a fifth rounder on Kawan Bentley, who's a godsend. But Dante Hightower was really slated to come back to full strength, and I'm just not seeing it. Is it still rust, or is it that injury, or is he just kind of maybe getting over the hill? Yeah, that's a very – I mean, that's the very valid concern with his Patriots defense. And as as you just said – we knew that the linebacker position was going to be a huge problem for New England. The writing was on the wall last year. It was a problem. The writing was on the wall this year. It is already a problem. Is Hightower done? I'm not quite ready to, to end his chapter. I expect that he should get better around midseason just because, I mean, he has always battled injuries. He has always rebounded from them and played at a high level. His instinct should still be there, and as you said, he shouldn't really be slower. So is he overthinking it? You mentioned Juwan Bentley. He had the green dot. So is Dante Hightower playing a different role on this defense? Is he having different responsibilities that's making him slower or making him have to think more? Is he just trying to get back into football shape after missing the entirety of last season? All of those very, very real possibilities. And so until we see this for you know the first half of the season... I'm not ready to write off Hightower. I, maybe he won't ever get back to that all-pro level that he was in, I believe, 2015 or maybe 2014, whatever that was. But he is still, in my mind, there with what his physical abilities are, what his mental abilities are. And so he should get back. Come on. He has to. He has to. If not, this defense is going to be atrocious for the entire year. Yeah, again, I think he'll be okay as well, but it's just a very marked difference between the high tower that caused that fumble in the Super Bowl and the high tower that's getting burned around the edge by the likes of court running backs I can't even remember right now. That's never really a good a good uh, good sign for anybody. We'll move back to the secondary. People give the secondary a lot of crap and I guess I understand it. However, I think whenever you have a defense that can't stop the run and can't rush the passer that leads to secondary, damned if you do, damned if you don't. No player can be covered for longer than a couple of seconds, and especially with players like Golden Tate out there who had a field day. My real concern was, I think it was Jones Jr. that had the long touchdown where Deron Harmon went the complete opposite direction, and Stephon Gilmore thought he was going to get help over the top, so he bit the route a little bit, and then there was no help, and he got burned. I'm hoping that's a communication issue, the kind of thing we saw last year where guys were getting wide open. They can address that. But from a talent perspective, from a ability to cover perspective with Jason McCourty and, and Eric Rowe, who looked really bad last week, are you worried of the secondary at all? Uh, no, because of what you led with. When, when the defensive front seven is not playing good complementary football, then there's nothing that the secondary can really do because someone's eventually going to get open. That's just the nature of the game. It's what happens when you have athletes, when the plays break down. Once you get to that backyard style of football, receivers are able to run free and that is what's going to happen inevitably and what we've been seeing with the Patriots secondary as a weakness has been on crossing patterns has been on in routes has been on I mean that's actually kind of it that's all the opposing teams need they've been finding weaknesses in sitting down against the zone or you know they've been attack attacking the linebackers out of the backfield there's nothing too complicated here and when the plays that are happening down the field occur, it's based off of a lot of what seems to be timing routes where the quarterbacks, and I'm mostly highlighting Blake Bortles and uh, Matt Stafford here, is that they're able and they know what's happening. They're releasing the football 
before the receiver breaks. And so they know what's happening. It's not really just like a just a matter of the, the Patriots defenders not able to keep up. It's the fact that there's nothing troubling the opposing quarterback. So they know what's going on. The play is developing exactly as they would hope it would develop. And that's why they're thrown to these players. And hopefully the return of Trey Flowers could help generate some pass rush, some pressure on the quarterback. Because remember, Patriots were great as a pass rush against the Houston Texans. Flowers got hurt on like the first drive against the Jaguars. And then they've been terrible ever since. And so if Flowers can come back, and this is awful that we're hinging the entire success of the defense on one player. But if Flowers comes back and he's able to generate pressure then that should help the secondary and that will prevent quarterbacks from able to just settle down, have all the time in the world and just wait for someone to get open. Here's hoping man, because yeah, I mean, Trey flowers, what a, I guess in a, from a very selfish perspective on his side and a coming into a kind of a contract year to get hurt and have the defense stink when you're out. And then if you come back in and start getting it done again, that's going to give him some massive leverage come time for the renegotiations. And I think Patrick Chung, you can't understate the loss of him as well, especially on those crossing routes. He kind of commands the middle of the field, especially the linebackers struggling. But you really – I'm not worried at the secondary either, as you said. It's really more this, this, this pass rush and this complete lack of run defense because – if the time of possession is, I think, 40 minutes to 20 minutes uh, on average, Lions, the Patriots, as, as bad as bad as Tom Brady was yesterday, you can't give him a pass. But you can only do so much if you're only on the field for 20 minutes. If the defense can't stop anybody, the Texans and the Lions are not good running teams. So that is a, a massive red flag they're going to have to address, especially against Miami coming to town uh, next week. Flip to the offensive side of the ball here, Rich. Uh, I, I can take nothing away from what I saw on Sunday night because they just couldn't do anything. First time in the Bill Belichick era, era, and from 2000, the entire time he's been the coach of the Patriots, they've never opened a game with three straight three and outs. They did it against the Lions. The few first downs they got, they managed to get like a second or third and one, could not gain a single yard on those they had to punt. It was a embarrassment on all sides. Tom Brady was inaccurate. The receivers couldn't get separation. The running game couldn't get going. There was nothing I could see out of this game that gave me any kind of confidence. However, the Patriots offense has been their bread and butter in seasons past, and I'm confident they'll turn it around eventually. Do you agree? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And the, the Calvary is on the way with Josh Gordon potentially being available next week, Julian Edelman being available in two weeks. That'll really open it up because the biggest issue that the Patriots had is that, as you mentioned, no one was getting open. The Lions were double teaming Rob Gronkowski. Rex Burkhead suffered a neck injury, so who knows what his availability is going to be. And so you have a rookie in Sony Michelle who is all of a sudden carrying the entire running back position. You have Philip Dorsett, whom Brady was 0 for 5 targeting. Although not all of it was Dorsett's fault because Brady threw that just complete chucklehead of a throw that was intercepted early in the fourth. Chris Hogan has been a ghost over the first three games of this year. He has just been non-existent, as has Cordero Patterson. So none of these players are capable of winning their one-on-one matchups. Rob Gronkowski can't be expected to always beat his two-on-one matchups. And that makes it super easy for the opposing defense. And they weren't having to rush too much to get pressure to Brady. There was how many coverage sacks did we see on Sunday night where Brady had five seconds in the pocket and nothing was happening 
that's just unacceptable. That is an indication that the talent just isn't there around him. And it was very reminiscent of the 2013 Patriots offense where there's only so much Brady can do. I don't expect that there's any real decline in his capabilities so much as there's just a complete dearth of talent on the entire offensive side of the ball. And then you throw in an offensive line that's been greatly underperforming this year compared to the past couple of years. And that's just a recipe for just a terrible outing on offense. You mentioned the cavalry coming in a couple of weeks, Josh Gordon, potentially this week against Miami Edelman for sure. The following week, how much do you think those guys are going to help? Josh Gordon is a total question mark, elite talent for sure, but complete head case, does not know the playbook that well. Who knows what kind of rapport and chemistry him and Tom Brady have. Edelman on the wrong side of 30, coming off an ACL injury, missed an entire season and a quarter of football, basically. He's going to have some rust. So how much can we reasonably and rationally expect from those two guys to come in and get this offense moving? I think a lot. And there's a huge trickle-down effect reason because of it. And so what you're looking at right now with the Patriots offense is a bunch of receivers that are playing really far out of positions. And so Philip Dorsett, I guess, isn't technically playing out of position. He's there, He's being used as the deep threat and he's being utilized as such. He hasn't really been producing in that capacity. But with him on the outside, that means that Chris Hogan has been playing a lot inside the slot, and he's just not the most dominant or productive slot receiver. He doesn't have the quickness where he's able to get the separation the way that Julian Edelman is able to. And as a result, there are no quick and early and easy options for Brady to find. And so you add Julian Edelman back into the mix, you get some more production on the inside. You get Chris Hogan to go back on the outside and Philip Dorsett goes back to, you know, being his Dante Solworth, potentially just a deep threat kind of a player. Chris Hogan will probably be more productive on the outside than he was on the inside. And then you play him opposite of Josh Gordon. Josh Gordon doesn't need to know the playbook as thoroughly as necessary because he's just such a phenom out there. And he has shown the ability to pick up new offenses uh, without much practice and all things considered, you just put him out there, have him run down the field. He's six foot twenty, weighs two hundred thousand pounds, and he can run a four two. <laughs> and so you just have Tom Brady throw him the ball. Just have him run it deep. Whatever happens, the opposing team's going to have to designate a safety to cover him over the top. And then you can't go double Josh Gordon with that safety help and double Rob Gronkowski without giving someone else a super easy and favorable matchup. And that's just going to be the trickle-down effect that we need to see. So, yeah, ultimately, the, the introduction of Josh Gordon and the return of Julian Edelman, regardless of how well they're integrated or whatever capabilities they have at this point in their career, it's going to improve the Patriots' offense because they're all just better at their relative positions than what New England's currently been trotting out. The good news is they have three straight home games coming up to, to figure it out. They always play better at home. The bad news is one of those games is the Chiefs. Uh, it's October 14th on Monday night, and one of those games is the Colts on Thursday in a very, very short week. Uh, so hopefully they can they can find some time and get that done. And a way to do that, I think, not only with the receivers returning, but is to maybe reestablish the running game and make that play action work for them. I don't think anybody respects the Patriots' play-action game right now because nobody really respects the Patriots' running game right now. I thought Tony Michelle looked okay. 
He had a couple of decent runs. He really struggles running to the outside in the stretch run for some reason. He got stuffed in the backfield a couple times. No fault of his own. That was more offensive line breakdown. And he's not the best catching passes out of the backfield. With Rex Burkhead out, potentially, with a neck injury is what the initial reports are. Severity still unknown as of this podcast. Michelle's going to be the guy. Him and James White are are the duo for the foreseeable future. James White is pretty much holding this team together with Tom Brady right now. And do you think that Michelle can continue to step up, continue to develop, and do you like we've seen out of him so far? Yeah, I mean, there, there's lots of room for Michelle to continue to develop. And he missed the entire preseason. He's been active. This was his second game. He did fine. I mean, there, there, as you said, there's a lot to like, a lot not to like. He was particularly ineffective in short yardage, which I'm concerned about if Rex Burkhead is unavailable to play because if Michelle can't get it done in short yardage, then the Patriots just don't have a running game in short yardage. And that is a big concern because that is the, the best and most successful way to continue drives is be able to produce on the ground in short yardage. And so Michelle has to step up. He's continuing to develop. He, he has no real choice. You know, he's being thrown into the fire. He'll have a big opportunity to do it against the, the Miami Dolphins. Will he? I don't see why not. I'm not going to hold it against him. It's He, as I mentioned on the, the defensive side, where there's a bunch of those B-level players, that's what I'm seeing out of Michelle. Not saying that's his cap. He is a rookie. He's played two games. But he's been solid. He's not been as good as Rex Burkhead, who finds a way to just continuously be injured. But... He's better than the alternatives. I mean, you, you think of who the Patriots have had in their backfield over the the recent years. How does he compare? I mean, he's probably a, above average, so it's it's good enough. He'll, he'll be able to get the job done. I would be concerned about the depth of the position because if Burkhead can't play, then you only have Michelle and White. One injury is the end of it. So we might see Ralph Webb make his NFL debut next week if Burkhead isn't cleared to play. Ralph Webb, preseason phenom. I really was hoping we'd never see him again. Just not nothing against him, but when when Ralph Webb's getting called up and getting serious reps, you know you're in trouble injury wise. Especially against this Dolphins team that is undefeated right now. They look pretty good. I believe I saw a stat that they're they're ten and one in the last games Ryan Tannehill played. Yep. They look they look pretty solid right now. They're leading the AFC East by a couple of games. They have all the momentum. They're 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 able to score a quick. They have big plays. They have a couple of guys banged up on defense, which are not going to help their case. But the Patriots have never been more vulnerable at this stage in the game playing Miami at home. And Miami usually plays the Patriots very, very tough in Miami. So are you worried about a potential season sweep for the Dolphins here, Rich? Um, I mean, you never want to lose at home to the Dolphins because they are going to give you heck <laughs> when you have to go on the road. But you look at the teams that they've played and beaten, uh, the Titans, Jets, and Raiders are not world beaters. So they've been fortunate with their schedule, but they've taken advantage of it in ways that the Patriots haven't. Tannehill looks very, very solid out there. His pass rating, almost 122. He's being smart with the football. Adam Gaze has him connecting to all of his receivers. They're spreading it out very, very well. They have six players with over 100 yards from scrimmage. Uh, one of them, Kenyon Drake, has been leading them out of the backfield. Frank Gore has been combining with him, so they have a good one-two punch there. Kenny Stills has been an amazing deep threat, as has Albert Wilson. He's been super productive out of the slot. Uh, Jakeem Grant has been a home run kind of a player for them as well. And then you have uh, 
old friend Danny Amendola just chugging along, leading the team with 11 catches. And so Tannehill has been taking the high, high accuracy efficiency passes, and that's why I would be most concerned. Not because the, the Dolphins have any sort of overwhelming talent, but you look at how teams like the Jaguars and the Eagles and the Lions have been able to beat the Patriots. It's been following that Andy Reid game plan that he had on offense, that why the Chiefs were always able just to move the ball. And ultimately, they weren't able to win because they just didn't have the, the talent to do so. But the the game plan is there. If you have just any sort of luck, it could work in your favor. What the Patriots like to do on defense is to force the opposing team to lead these extended 10-plus play drives. They don't allow the, the big passes over the top. Their ideal is to stop the run, and that will force them to, to rely on the quarterback to pick, you know, seven, eight yards per clip as, as a passer. And just based off of the odds of completing a pass, that'll force them into a few third down situations. And, you know, over the long run of the entire game, they'll have to punt it because they won't be able to sustain those long drives. What Andy Reid and all of these acolytes have done by copying that game plan, even if the exact plays aren't the same, is that they just take what the Patriots have given. They've been taking advantage of the fact that the Patriots are settling back to take away the big play. They're taking the easy passes that are underneath. They're attacking the linebackers. They're accepting that they're going to have to run these 10-plus play drives. They're super happy to do so, and they're able to, to go punch for punch with the Patriots. And what New England always liked to do is build up a lead. They would always be able to rely on their offense to put up points, and then they could put the, the, the flex on the opposing offense when they had that lead, dictate the pace of the game, and that's all they wrote. That's not happening right now. The Dolphins are a team that are very, very capable of taking advantage of the New England defense. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit concerned that unless the Patriots start getting more creative on defense, this is going to be a long year. I mean, I have no problem with giving up really long drives, but the thing that Matt Patricia at least did was they stiffened up in the red zone and they forced their opponents to field goals while the Patriots scored touchdowns. What I cannot tolerate are long drives where opponents score touchdowns, the Pats run three plays and punt it, and all of a sudden the defense is back out on the field again for 11 more plays. I mean, that's going to grind your entire defense down by mid-October. So they absolutely have to fix that. Even if nothing else, if they still can't score whatever they want to get their offense back in gear whatever but i cannot reasonably expect this defense to be out there for consistently 10 11 12 play drives after a very short break from the offense and, and expect them to be around in december so if nothing else hopefully they will address that and figure out how to make not only get some points on the board against the dolphins but get the defense a break so they can kind of keep playing because it all goes well rich they have a lot more games to play well into this january and into february and they can't be worn down like this yeah, absolutely. This is just, man, I, I feel like I haven't felt this way about a Patriots team in a long time because we we met, I, I just compared the, the offense to the 2013 Patriots offense, and that was just a rough season to watch. This defense, I mean, it's comparable to the 2011 defense. It's like you're taking the two worst sides of the Patriots ball over the past decade and put them into one team. I just really hope that the rust will be shaken off of the defense. The players will return. There'll be a good boost because this is this is the making of a super long year if they if they're not able to figure it out. 
Yeah, again, but to end on some optimism, I think they will figure it out. I am not overly concerned about it. That was an NFC game. It's not going to make a difference in terms of tiebreakers or anything like that. Jacksonville Jaguars lost to the Titans, so they may come back down to earth. The AFC is still wide open. It's still very early, and the Patriots are going to figure this out. They're going to be fine. And let me tell you something, folks. Even if you're not, even if they're not fine and they start to stink, having been a Patriots fan for over, I guess, 30 years now, there's actually some very nice parts about rooting for a crappy team, which I'll gladly share if and when that happens. But I think we should keep our chins up, trust the process, know they'll figure it out, and when the season's come and gone, the path will be right up there with everybody else and making a deep playoff run. I still believe that very strongly. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in Belichick we trust, right? Tom Brady is still out there. Gronkowski will eventually get going. He's too great to hold down. They are getting that influx of talent. We've seen this story before, right? I'm, I'm not ready to to bury this team because we saw that in 2014. You know, this is probably something Belichick's been orchestrating in its entirety, you know, resting on their haunches after going to three out of four Super Bowls and, uh, you know, throw a bone to his old coaching buddy Tom Coughlin and his acolyte, Matt Patricia. You know, just get the, get the juices flowing, get Tom Brady angry and ready for some football. This is just a long game for Belichick. They're, they're about to go on a tear and not lose for the rest of the year. Very possible, and I would love if that was actually what he did. He like threw a couple of games early just to get some confidence. I know it's not even close what he's doing, but <laughs> I, I love the I love the pro Belichick conspiracy theory that the Patriot homerism is so strong that he's, he's it's impossible for him to lose not on purpose, but. I don't know. Again, I can I can rattle back. In 2003, they got blown out by Buffalo, 31 to nothing. And in 2014, I think they lost by 10 points to Miami, then got blown up by Kansas City. And then there's the the loss last year to Kansas. Like they 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 suck in September sometimes. It's kind of part of the mo. They suck in September. They're great in January. And I will gladly make that trade every single day of the week. It's gonna be fine. Let's all, in the words of Aaron Rodgers, R E L A C K S. <laughs> uh, I love writing jokes. Um, yeah, and <laughs> ultimately, this is so early in the year. Does it does it really yeah. matter? The team that we're going to see in December is entirely different than the team that we have right now. It's just going to change. That's just the way it happens. That's what autumn is all about. It's the changing of the seasons here. And so, yeah, we'll, we'll have some more reviews of the Patriots game against the Lions if you guys feel like reading about it on <laughs> fastball. But I don't know. I, I hope you have better things to do with your life than, than just try and figure out why the Patriots were bad. Uh, spoiler, they were just bad. <laughs> no one did well. There's not a single thing you could point at that was like, this is the single key. No, they were bad at everything. So, yeah, if you would just watch the tape, just point at every single player and say that they were the problem. There, there's your film <laughs> review for the week right there. Uh, but what, I, I'm more excited to see what the Patriots rebound with against the, the Miami Dolphins. Should be fun. If the Patriots win, they're back on track. If they lose, uh, yeah, you can hit the panic buttons in my mind a little bit harder. Well, that's for patspulpit.com. Alec, do you have any final thoughts on week three of the NFL season? I have no more thoughts ever about week three of the NFL season. I've already <laughs> forgotten about it. Let's never talk about it again. Ah, beautiful. And until next time, Alec, you have a good one. You too, man. See you. Later.
Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seemed Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seemed smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. <laughs>